0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with legendary jazz trumpeter, composer, arranger, and educator, Wadada Leo Smith. This journey jazz veteran has been all over the world, creating cutting-edge, avant-garde music for decades. These days, he stays as busy as ever. Over the course of our conversation, he spoke about his unique approach to teaching students who has taught him the most, a music language that he has founded, who his jazz heroes are, and why he feels today he is doing the best jazz he's ever done, along with many more stories and surprises. So please, dig this interview, my friends.
1: Thank you for taking some time to speak with me. I really appreciate it. Oh no, man, it's my pleasure. Right on my pleasure. Believe me. Let me let me go ahead and start off here and ask you what has been going on with you lately? Almost too much to report. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh essentially um I've been traveling, you know, uh, both with Golden Quartet. Uh we've been to Europe, um and I've been in Canada up at Banff, uh that school that V J is the director of. The music summer school. I was up there for a week. And uh I've been to Europe twice this year. I've been to Finland and Portugal and Italy and Canada in the last month, just in the last month since August one. Wow. And um that's that's like activity but I have like some big things coming up. There's a there's a there's a huge um uh exhibit at the Renaissance Society museum at the university of chicago in chicago that's coming up in october uh as well as i'll be doing two performances there one would be with golden Quartet. the other would be with uh uh, uh just me solo and, and and video artists and after that um um well actually i'm playing I'm, this weekend i'm playing in at the chicago mm-hmm. jazz festival with muha richard abrams who celebrated M 50th anniversary and um, I have two recordings coming up, one in, at the end of September, first week of October, which will be a series of String Quartets of Mines that will be recorded. In fact, there will be 10 that will be recorded. And um, uh, there's a duo recording with Vijay on the 23rd and 24th of October. And I go back to Europe in October twice. Wow. Yeah, so wow. it's it's a busy time. Uh, but it doesn't stop what I normally do, which is, uh, compose and research. And, uh, right now I'm finishing up my 10th string quartet and, um, getting it ready for recording, like I said, at the end of September. And, um, working on, uh, actually another big project that's called the, uh, National Parks, Selected National Parks. And that'll be just for Golden Quartet for QA form.
1: Uh, the strange watchers would be for tomb records. So what about traveling? What does that do for you? Do you, I mean, you obviously travel quite a bit. How gratifying is it to see different spots of the world on a regular basis and to kind of get uh, being a world citizen, so to speak?
2: Well, it gives you a good uh, view of what this little, small planet is about. And the planet is not really that big. And although it's not really that big, it's not fully populated. Just that uh, areas that surround waters are mostly uh, condensed with population, but there's a vast array of land on this planet that no one lives on. Yeah. So it gives it gives you a beautiful view on that, but it also lets you know what's happening in other societies, particularly regarding uh, the economy and government. And uh, those things are, are, are things that we have to pay attention to today because uh because of the quote cyberspace you have what you call cyber crime now or warfare where other nations try to bankrupt your your society so it's a very very close kind of um view of of what's happening on this planet in particular between the US Canada and Europe uh which which are the, the for, for for me, like, the, the biggest zones that I work in.
1: But the, the beauty of what you get to do is you get to bring something that's beautiful, like your music to the people. What is that like? Is that a relief to your audiences to feel that release for a little while with your music?
2: Yeah, because that's what music does. Music, music essentially is a provider of a, a secluded space, even though you may be sitting amongst 100 people or 100,000 people. If you're listening to music, and you have actually focused in on it, it provides you your own secluded, isolated moment where you can actually recharge, uh, reinvigorate yourself by uh, through imaginations and fantasy and some form of contemplation or meditation. And it also gives you the energy to slow down. And one of the biggest benefits is that it lets you know that you're part of a larger nuclear family which is which is actually isolated in one cell, that is the performing area. And that's a pretty good um, uh, feeling to have if one is able to pay attention to that. Yeah. You see? Because often we are not. Because when we go to performances, a lot of times we go out of habit, we go out of the fact that we can afford it, and we go out of the fact that we have been invited by somebody. But to go to a performance, you're supposed to start preparing the night before, just like the musicians prepare before they perform. You're supposed to prepare to try to uh, rule in your your thought patterns and your habits so that when you step across the threshold of the door, that you can immediately center yourself and kind of engage into this back and forth that only you and the music can have that's completely non-discussive, and non-argumentative, it's a kind of an observation of relaying of energy that takes place between you and the music. And that happens to every single individual that's sitting in that secluded space if they have prepared themselves to receive it.
1: I'm going to come down, since we're talking about geography and your biography, obviously, I want to come down a little bit local and ask, what was it like to grow up in Mississippi? What What was it like to be in Mississippi to cultivate your love of music?
2: Well, everything in Mississippi is done by music. From from the uh, opening of the school, from the participation of school in sports and music in sports, uh music and talent shows, and music and ceremonias, straight on through to when you go into the community, music in the church, music for burial, music for cleansing of houses, music for performance to kind of. Change the behavior of society like 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 marches and brass bands and and cakewalks and things like that um everybody paints something in their house they either paint baskets or they paint bricks or they i'm talking about artistic painting or they yeah. decorate stuff uh like trees balls are painted and, and hooked onto trees hooked onto branches of trees it's a it's a very when I grew up it was a very cultivated society. Although it has changed drastically now, because uh I haven't been there in 10 or, 10 or 12 years, but uh when I went there last time, it had changed drastically. That kind of attitude didn't exist anymore. So I think I was one of those privileged generations that actually truly benefited from my environment because the environment was so rich and so cultivated with art and ideas of art. Yeah. So that was the biggest that was the biggest thing and the second thing was is that when I came up families was important we we never made there was never major decision made in the house without the matriarch of the family which was my grandmother you see yeah. and and that kind of extended family doesn't exist anymore and if it does it's one that nobody knows about
1: yeah so when you were a child did you always dream of getting into music or did you have other dreams
2: I had only one dream in my life, and that was to be uh, a composer
1: and a performer.
2: And I started out that dream what I call a little bit late. I uh, bet the practice of that dream a little bit late. But from the age of eight or nine, I could hear my stepfather playing his guitar in the house, and he would invite other guitar players over to play. And also when really famous celebrities would come into town, because my stepfather was like the major guy in town, they would all gather at my house, either to eat my mom's good cooking or to sit around and talk or to engage in some kind of um, musical activity that involves uh uh drinking of alcohol and telling of stories. Well, and I was I was a boy that was allowed to sit in that room with them during that kind of uh, discussion.
1: Why did you pick the trumpet?
2: Uh, I didn't really pick the trumpet. The trumpet was selected for me. I had picked the drums, but because of uh, such a long line to get musical instruments assigned to you, I was near the back of the line. So when I got up there, they had no more drums. Of course, the drums went first because everybody wants the drums, including me. But when I got to the top of the line, they only had a mellophone left. So they gave me the mellophone, and I accepted it, even though I didn't want it. Yeah. Because it, the shape of it was kind of funny, and uh, I'd never heard of it before. So, But I took it anyway because I wanted to do music. And one day, my band director, uh, the first band director of mine, his name is Earl Jones, decided that no longer would he try to teach me the melophone And my friend, Henry, no longer would he try to teach him the trumpet. So he got so angry, he told me to go to the room, the room next door and told Henry to come to my room. In Henry's room was a trumpet, and in my room was a mellophone. And Henry got the mellophone, and I got the trumpet. And that's how I got it.
1: Interesting. And it so, was the
2: best instrument for me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So as we flash forward some years, it's very interesting. You've come up with a systematic music language. Talk to me a yes. little bit about, talk to me about how that came about and just how it operates and how it's kind of motivated you well essentially
2: if you if you have a kind of reflective quality to yourself, you constantly you know uh perusing possibilities and engage in dreaming okay and yeah. that was that's one of my qualities and and it was from an early age that I had these qualities uh rather from birth, but from the early age, I began to use them so once I started playing music and I went into the army and I met musicians from all over the United States, I began to really uh, reflect on what music was, and there was a constant urge inside of me that there was something else that wasn't on the table, and that if I look for it carefully, sincerely, and with the deepest of respect, that I may find it. And that search went on for approximately four or five years, starting in 1963. And I only found that information in 1967, okay? That information came in 1967. I made tons of of drawings and designs, trying to get whatever was inside of me outside. And, of course, it didn't didn't come out until 1967. And on the day that it came out is a day that's always present with me. It never, ever leaves me. I remember distinctly the day, almost every day, that day. Wow. So 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 it was about this something that that I felt inside that I needed to discover and I did tons of research meaning I looked through thousands of scores and hundreds of books that dealt with scores to make sure that what I was looking for was already not found. You see. Yeah. And um and when it finally did come, uh I Realized that it was something different. it was not already on the table and over the years that is since nineteen sixty seven up until today it has continued to grow that language yeah and um i I suspect that it will continue will will forever grow as long as I'm on the planet and basically what it is is it's a it's a it's a group of symbols that uh represent musical um uh, Ideas, musical uh, language, musical conceptual designs of how you uh, construct music, and it has a, a set of uh, commands, both performing performance commands and also thinking commands, and operational commands that that control the success and failure of it. And it's I define it as a symbolic language because. Any one of the symbols, played by one person or a hundred million people, will all be different. Wow! You say,
1: yeah. And and then later
2: I discovered some other things about it that each of the symbols, because it changes for every person, is therefore a self-generating sim, uh, symbol. And so the the word symbolism represented perfectly because it's a symbolic uh, structure that tend to generate this process of speculation and contemplation about what that means and the possibility of how
1: to use it. So let me talk to you a little bit about where you you obviously are very steeped in the Delta Blues, but you've gone on to study the cultures of African, Japanese, Indonesian, European, and obviously American. What has it been like to study and get so immersed in these different languages of music that have lent to the music that you give to the world via jazz?
2: Well, anything that you learn enriches you and allows you to have the greatest possibility for success in whatever you do. So when I went to study those musics, my aim was essentially to find out the practice of those musics and the philosophical or the sociological or the mystical relationship that those music had in those societies. And the reason I want to learn that is because I wanted to use those kinds of musics as a form of research, but my research would not be to generate or create that music that I'm studying, but to find out how to make those types of music part of my experiment or my research. Therefore, I have written over the years for, for for Chinese ensembles, for Japanese ensembles, for Gamelan ensembles, for African drumming ensembles, for all kinds of European ensembles. I've written for all of them, but I have not changed the language that I use to write for them, and that's the key, because if I change the language just to adopt to their language. It would have bought my experiment. My experiment is, is that I can take a Chinese ensemble, uh, divorced of its participating history and culture, and in, and import and import inside of it the language I'm using. And because of the players who carry this history with them, that experimentation would bloom out into a whole nother kind of way. You say, as yeah. opposed to me. Are doing like let's say um, some of the great colonial composers did. You know where they would go there, and they would become part of the cultural practice, and they would put that in their music, and uh, uh, trans- barely transform it, but put it in their music and make it like that. And yeah. I can give you some examples, like like uh, Rondo Pacifico is a work like that. It's based off the Korean cult music, you say, and it's 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 beautiful music. I've, I've, I've studied it because I wanted to see what was happening with that music as well. Uh, but but it does its research is, is unlike mine. I did not intend to capture any of those musical signs uh, signs and put it into my music. I intend to find out how to use those instruments and apply my language to them with the players that carry that history within their within their hearts and souls.
1: Let me ask you this. As a wise and journeyed man that's had a very rich career in music, when you look back, what has been your most prolific period of creativity? Now is the most prolific one. And the reason for it is is
2: because in the early days, I wrote just as much or almost as much, but there was no possibility of getting any of it recorded or performed. Today that situation is completely different. I own my own ensemble, which is which is ensembles rather, which is which is golden quartet. Um, there's there's um, uh, uh, Imbira, which is a which is a smaller ensemble uh, with pipa and trumpet and drums. And there's the creative music orchestra, and there's the Pacific Red Choral, which is a string quartet plus harp player plus percussionist and if at any point that I want to have my music play I have the vehicle to do it I don't have to ask any other society or ensemble or director or conductor to do a thing for me today I'm totally self-sufficient and that's why today the moment I write a piece of music I can call my string quartet up and say look over this music I'll meet you two or three days from now and I want to hear what it sounds like, and they are doing wonderful you see so so today is the most prolific period because not only can I finish the music one day, but the very next day I can hear what it sounds like and keep moving,
1: yeah, that's great, so along with the music, you're a very story teacher. you've taught a lot of students over the years at variety at a variety of institutions. Let me ask you this: what is your teaching philosophy with your students that are in your classes?
2: Well, it's a very simple one um essentially, with the lecture classes, I try to inform them about a part of a tradition that's usually absent in institutions that is that is in 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 most institutions, they have very little information on african American society, very little even yeah. with all of the all of the cultural studies departments like African American studies and so on and so on, they still have very little information. And the information is contrived by what people call quote scholars and scholars are not artists. I don't care how you look at them, and artists who become scholars, they divorce themselves from being artists. So so my view is that an artist can give a perspective that And it's closest to it in actual thing than any other advocate of that music or that art, and so that's been my practice. I try to give them something that's not part of the university system, and my analysis of the same stuff that the university teach is entirely different. In fact, it's so different, Ter, I have multiple complaints against me for the last thirty-some years in schools. (laughs) 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 You see. Because it's too different, you see. But the truth is is that the analysis that I give is accurate. It's not based off of race or culture. It's based off the actual art object itself. And that's where the difference comes in. As far as individual students and ensembles, I interview every student that I take on that's not in a lecture class. I interview them to find out what it is they know and what it is they want to learn. And then I challenged them after the interview that I would design something special for them, but they got to promise me that they're going to, when they leave out of my presence, that they're going to carry something different than what they came into the present with. And also, again, as a result of that kind of a, of, of attitude, I have people that come to me often and before the third lesson, they have gone because they cannot deal with that kind of uh, really serious direct scrutiny and uh, also direct um encounter it doesn't affect me right because i think that this method of teaching that i had it allowed me to get closer to students who were serious and those that were not serious in one to 3 weeks they would be gone
1: anyway yeah so how many of your students come back and thank you for putting them through this kind of curriculum that you do? I have,
2: I have a few, you know, like a few that are sincere that, that come, come back. I have maybe four or five that stay constantly in touch and we're always, uh, 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 communicating and connecting with each other. So it's, it's been, um, it's been, you know, a, a very beautiful thing. Like, like, like Matoko Hondo is, is one of them. Jessica Gilbert is another one of them. Uh Lewis Lopez is another one of them. Uh Casey Butler is another one of them. And um there's probably a couple more, you know. Yeah. But they they're constantly in contact and we don't lose contact with each other. And um all of them that I just mentioned also all have performed
1: with me and continue to be selected to perform. Wonderful. So let me ask you this. Who has been the best teacher that you've ever had in your life? Teach you music. In music, I think that um, I think I have to put that
2: on two people. One is my stepfather, because his method of teaching was that he never ever said anything when it was right. He only spoke when it was wrong. Yeah. Okay. And I think I learned something from that, how to deal with other people in terms of, of uh, spreading information. And the second one was Henderson Howard. My stepfather's name is Alec Wallace. His musical name was Little Bill. Yeah. Uh, but 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 uh, Henderson Howard was the, was the person, the second person I've learned the most from. And and I would say the third would be a guy by the name of Carl Adam. Carl Adams. He's a trumpet player. Yeah. Uh, uh, he's probably like close to 90 years old now. That lives in Houston. Those are the three mentors that. I learned the most from in terms of direct contact about music, period. And um, uh, uh, a trumpeter trumpeter that I studied with in Chicago, William Babcock, is the other guy. So those are the four people that actually helped to shape me at various stages in my life. Uh, And I I worked with Babcock even after... uh, I had already started reporting.
1: So let me go from teaching into playing with musicians. you played with so many cats over the years. Yeah. There's, I mean, Anthony Braxton, I mean, you You can go on and on all Lake. Is there anybody on your radar out there that you're like, man, I would really like to jam with that cat? That's the kind of person I would like to perform with. Well, I, let, let me say it this way. The AECM told us this philosophy
2: that you want to work with anybody that offers you the opportunity to work because no matter what kind of language that they deal with in their music or what level of musicianship they're at, there's always something to learn, okay? So that's the first thing. Um, my my dream of who to work with out there now, um, I just started working with Marcus Gilmore, a fantastic young drummer, I met him through VJ Ayo because he plays with VJ ensemble. He's somebody I'm very much interested in playing with. Uh, of older people, uh, I would love to play with all of them uh, if they had the opportunity to ask me. Because you never, ever
1: learn, once you learn how to learn, you never,
2: ever learn how to unlearn.
1: Sometimes, you know, the, the the reality of life is you're only as good as the Giants, the shoulders that you can stand upon. So in your early formative years of listening to jazz, who would you consider some of your jazz heroes, those that really moved you, whether it was performers or specific albums? Who was it?
2: Well, um, uh, all of the... the, the For me, there's, there's probably a big four or five, you know, and... Uh, I could rank them by, um, uh, like like Miles Davis, Duke Ellington, Thelonious Monk, um, John Coltrane, and uh, people like like Evan Jones and Jack DeJohnette. Those are and Chick and Chick career. Those are the those five or six players. I have them and, and artists. I call them artists because they're, they're composer performers. Those six artists, I think, are the greatest artists that ever lived. Those yeah. six. Okay. And um, um, at the top of the list is, uh, uh, is Miles Davis because his achievement, frankly, is greater than all of them. And yeah. people will be angry when they hear that because I didn't list Charlie Parker as one of them and, uh, and et cetera. But the truth is... Is that is that Miles Davis' achievement is greater than all of those guys, including Duke? You see, and 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 how do you know? It's because he still has a continuous direct influence on younger generations. I forgot two musicians, Bob Marley and Jimmy Hendrix. You can't yeah. leave them out. Yeah, that's 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 the pantheon there for me. Okay, yeah. all of them. I think they're the greatest artists ever lived. Okay, and and when you when you really look at the achievement of Miles Davis, he continuously influenced the environment. There's the musical environment, and he continuously to outsell everything that's out there now, even
1: today. Yeah.
2: Now, hey. now, none of them other artists that I mentioned, except Bob Marley, does that. Continue to do that.
1: Yeah. You see. Yeah. Absolutely. Totally great. Um, so so
2: that's how you make that idea about it. And then if you go back and want to be a little bit uh 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 a hard knot about it, I would say this. In the two thousand when they did the polls around the planet everywhere, three guys came on top out on top in the Western world as being the the had made the most major contribution to to contemporary music. You know who they were? They were Bob Marley, Jimmy hemmington and Miles Davis. Wow. And when you consider the first two, they were guitar singers, songwriters, composers, and Miles Davis didn't sing or play the guitar. He played the trumpet, all yeah. this male music. How much of an
1: achievement is that? Wow. Yeah. That's monumental. Yeah, it's That's monumental. For sure. You say. for sure.
2: That means that there are more than me that think like this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, my uh, my son's named Miles, so I, that just gives you a precursor to how I feel about Mr. Davis. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's do Um so let me ask you this. You've been awarded a lot of prizes, given a lot of awards over the years, and I don't want to pigeonhole you and ask you which one did you like the best, but was there one award that you were given at a particular time in your life that was just like, Wow, this is really cool. Well, the 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 ones
2: that, that don't have repeaters, those are the ones I like mostly. And that's the that's the Guggenheim. You can only get that once. Yeah. Okay, um, the um, uh, I was a finalist in the pool of the Prize. That means that three people came up to be the finalists, and the board of directors who are all writers make the selection, which means that the, finalist, the person that gets the Pools of the Prize has virtually nothing to do with music, but it has to do with how the panel makes their selection. And they normally select nearly any, whenever there's three people in the mix, they normally select the ones that have voice or or lyrics in their music. Okay? So I came in third on that. And uh, not third, but I I was one of the three founders. To me, that's a a very powerful achievement, particularly when it comes from a guy whose language that they had to be uh, taught of how to look at the language. And I didn't teach them. Somebody else taught them. I heard from one of the uh, I heard from a couple of people that were there, but they told one of them told me that the language was explained to them over and over what was being happening because my piece kept rising in each of the segments. Every time it closed off, a bunch of them mine was in the mix. Everyone, and yeah. so so to me, that's a that's a powerful achievement because there was something like thirty five hundred plus people who applied in that category, who was, who was, who was part of the, uh, 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 the Puzzle Prize mix. That's quite yeah. an achievement to come out. As one of the and also, absolutely. you know, um, it's something that I may or may not ever apply for again because yeah. already that has done me so much good. Uh, it has made 10 freedom summer a legend amongst legends.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. So let me ask you this. You've spent you've dedicated your life to making fans around the world happy with your music. Tell me this very simply, why do you love jazz?
2: Let's say it this way. Um I love creative music because in order to play it or be a part of it as a performer or composer, you have to give something of yourself in it. And a lot of music that don't have a space for you to give something of yourself in it though they still are important, it's just a, it's a zone that I would not select for my
1: uh, 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 mode
2: of, of expressing artistic vision.
1: Let me ask you this. I know you're far from being done with your career. that has been very illustrious. But if you look back, sit on the proverbial porch, in a rocking chair, and you think about your life, how do you want the world to remember what you have done to it, how you have affected it, and the music you've given it over all these years, you've dedicated your life to it? Well, What
2: I would like, not necessarily so much for the world, but I would like that somewhere down the line there are a handful of people who will come after us, and not just me. And I I use the word us. I'm talking about Anik Coleman, George Russell, uh, Alvin Isler, uh, Roscoe Mitchell, Anthony Braxton, the whole gamut of us. They will come after us. And that they would dedicate their lives to to finding this music and our philosophical and spiritual and and uh, 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 musical thoughts and put them in the context that could be beneficial beneficial for the planet. That's what I wish for, uh, yeah. because 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 there will be a group of people that will do that, and though they don't exist today. And I know they don't exist today uh, because those people that just write their thesis on us, they are not doing that. Uh, a book like George Lewis' book or whatever it's called, Power Strong in Itself, it doesn't do that. It's right. a sociological view of the AECM. I'm talking about somebody that comes along and looks at this music in detailed way and actually are able to decipher what's there by what we leave behind. They are yeah. coming. I mean, it took it took it took a very long time for box music to be found,
1: mm-hmm. and after
2: they found it, it took forty some years to edit it and put it in proper perspective. Yeah. So so I know that they are, that they those people though they may not be on the planet today, they are coming, and when they hit this field, they're gonna hit it just like just like a meteorite
1: that's the size of Jupiter. Yeah. You say. Yeah. Absolutely, I agree. That's beautiful. That that right there, I think, is a fitting way to end our interview and conversation. It's been a delight to get into your world a little bit. I appreciate you opening up to me.
2: It's a pleasure for me and... um Thank you for the opportunity, and hopefully we'll meet very soon.
0: Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Wadada for his brilliance, music, and that collective journey he's given us all. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store, or you can visit the neonjazz.blogspot.com for all things Neon Jazz. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends.
1: Neon Jazz.